You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Today's text is Isaiah 52, verse 13 through Isaiah 53, verse 12. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, um, we have sung all morning about the price that Jesus paid. It was sufficient, (laughs) to say the least, Jesus paid it all. He took our place. He bore the wrath of God. And today, as we come to your word, truly your word comes to us. And we ask that you would open our hearts wide and fill them full with this awful and yet beautiful truth of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ which along with his righteous life and the resurrection mean life to us. We pray it in the name of the one who gave himself for us, Jesus. Amen. Behold, keep standing, I'm sorry. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high And lift it up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard. They understand who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, 
And like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, living stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. Yahweh has put Jesus to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> if this is your first time at Grace, this is not the way I usually begin a message, which is why the confusion a little while ago, typically there is an introduction the reading of the text, prayer, be seated, <clears throat> and then I move forward. Today's text, however, desire, the, the, deserves to be the very first thing we encounter and have prominence in all of our thinking. Some of you will know and will have thought about every single thing that I say today. It's not that it's something new. Uh, there is nothing profound you will hear, and yet... The truth of Isaiah 53 is profound beyond imagination. Is there anywhere in Scripture besides maybe Psalm 22 that provides a more visceral account of what Jesus endured on the cross at the direction of the Father? Not only the physical suffering, but the emotional and spiritual devastation, the cause of which was our sin. As we have done the last two weeks and in the last two servant songs, we will go through this fourth and final servant song verse by verse, or one might say blow by blow. Go back and listen to last week's message for uh, an understanding of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Almost everything in Isaiah 40 verse 1 up to through uh, Isaiah 52, verse 12, comes to fruition in this text. Isaiah 53, 12 through 50, 52, uh, 13, I mean, through 53, 12. It is the centerpiece of the second half of the book of Isaiah. But more than that, it describes the event that stands at the center of all history, especially all redemptive history. But is there any event in all of history that means more than the crucifixion, the righteous life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
in this text, the careful reader will locate these themes. Exodus, prophet, priest, king, all here in Isaiah 53. Servant, conqueror, lamb, guilt offering, sufferer, intercessor. The second half of Isaiah includes chapters 40 through 66. And although we shouldn't make too much of chapter divisions, verse and chapter divisions, they were a late addition, uh, well after scripture had been written. Uh, even so, there are 13 chapters in the last half of Isaiah before Isaiah 53, 13 chapters after. It stands right in the middle of this later section of Isaiah. Uh, speaking of chapter divisions, we encounter an unfortunate one here. The last three verses of Isaiah 52 belong with Isaiah 53. <coughs> the beginning and the end of the fourth servant song share the same theme. The beginning and the end. Whenever you see that in a section of scripture, uh, the um, technical term is inclusion or inclusio. Before and at the beginning and at the end. And everything that goes in between is all based around that one theme. So you see this same theme at the beginning and end. Jesus, high and exalted, lifted up. In Isaiah 52, 13, we're told that the servant's mission will succeed. Have you ever noticed how much paradox there is in scripture. When we think of Jesus high and exalted, high and lifted up, we think of his exaltation. And that's exactly what Isaiah 52, 13 speaks of. His exalted status after his mission is successfully completed. But the very next verse, verse 14, immediately shifts to Jesus' suffering. He was beaten beyond human recognition. He hardly looked like a human being. Certainly, it would be difficult if you did not know who he was to know that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Even so, Jesus' disfigurement is the reason that those who are ugly from sin become beautiful in Christ. When Jesus explained his mission to Nicodemus, he said, I'm going to be high and exalted, all right. I'm going to be high and lifted up. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Over and over in Scripture, the way up is down. Jesus' understanding of his final Status allowed him to hold his head high through the shame that others assigned to him. Shameful. When you begin with the end in mind, you put yourself in a place to allow the Spirit of God to make you more like the Son of God according to the plan of the Father, God the Father. Rather than saying when, when hard times come on you, that's the worst 
possible thing that could have happened to me. Say something like, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Jesus has gone before you when you get that diagnosis. When people that you love turn away. Whatever the situation, when you lose your job, Jesus has gone before you in a far greater place of suffering than you. He knows the depth of your pain and despair. And it is because of his sacrifice that you have eternal life. Isaiah 52 15 may seem strange to you, but when you know scripture, it makes perfect sense. He will sprinkle many nations. Because of his disfigurement, being beaten and suffering like he did, he will sprinkle many nations. Uh, So in the same way that Moses sprinkled the people with blood in Exodus 24, 8, he threw the blood on them saying that the covenant of God requires a blood sacrifice for human sin. And in that case, it was an animal. The lamb was sacrificed. But now, the lamb of God is going to sprinkle the nations, the shedding of the blood of the lamb for the forgiveness of people's sins. Uh, Not just the sins of the Israelites, but, but the people of all nations all over the world. Hebrews 10, 20 Two speaks of the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, cleansing our hearts and our consciences from, from sin and from guilt. When we approach with a full assurance of faith. No wonder Isaiah 52, 15 tells us that kings are so astounded when they see this crucified king who is really part of God's Salvation, they, they hadn't been told it, but now they see that they didn't hear about it. But now they understand. You look at Jesus and you see the magnificent plan of God. But you only see it by faith. Isaiah 53, 1 explains to us God's, that God's arm of salvation comes to those who believe. But who has believed? Who has believed this? Until you believe... The preaching of the cross is foolishness to the educated. And it's a stumbling block to the religious. How could it possibly be that this is God's design? Again, scripture is full of paradox. And it will remain a mystery to you until you believe. Do not wait to understand everything that you need to know about scripture When you believe, the scales will begin to fall off and you will understand. When you believe, it will all make sense. The arm of the Lord speaks of God's power to save. God can save anyone, but the focus of Isaiah 53, 1-3 describes the rejection of the Savior. It was not just at the cross That Jesus was rejected. From his earliest days on earth, Jesus was rejected as king. What do you suppose the first century Jewish religious leaders and scholars thought of Isaiah uh, uh, 11? 
There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This was uh, the verse that inspired Scott Shambly's uh, production of, the, uh, of these slides, the background for these slides. Um, so what do you think they thought? This, this cut down stump, this tree, this mighty tree that had been cut down, and then they burned the stump, and out of that burned out stump comes this little shoot, this little plant. You would think if they absorbed all of that, they would understand not necessarily to look for someone who would look like your everyday king, born in a palace, <coughs> given all of the, 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 the uh, advantages of being in that position, growing up strong and confident and knowing that he was called to this place in his life, and so exuding this, this royal kind of sense about him. Nothing about Jesus' demeanor looked like a king. He talked to women. He talked to those who had been considered by the religious, the, the outcast of society. He loved sinners. And, a, a, and the king of Israel, come on. You know who we are. We, we live according to God's law. You can't be the one. Nothing about Jesus shouted, Israel, here is your king. In fact, many people, most people in these last 2,000 years have wanted to turn away from Jesus. Just like the people watching the crucifixion. They, they wanted to turn away. But we don't get that option. Every single one of us comes face to face with Jesus. Either now or later. And we believe. Or we turn away. The majority rejected Jesus. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Do you remember the difference between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross? Theology of glory is this notion that somehow we have to become good enough and climb the ladder and get up and be acceptable to God because we've done all of these good things. And it is a far easier sell than you would think that we attain glory. We attain righteousness. I'm, I'm getting better with this. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping all of these sins at bay. I'm doing the right things. I'm not doing the wrong things. I am Righteous before the Lord. And I can't believe how unrighteous the rest of the people around me are. Those who were exalted in this life have been exalted by God. So this theology of glory goes. And thus, those who suffer, and especially those who suffer greatly, are cursed. 
They have been rejected by God. In our text, those who observed Jesus were much like Job's friends, interpreting his suffering through a theology of glory. And something must be wrong with you. <laughs> but in fact, these people before whom Jesus died were witnessing a theology of the cross being played out before their very eyes. The truth of Scripture, vividly and centrally articulated in Isaiah 53, is that we are incapable of achieving glory. And God meets us at our level, at the cross. Although Isaiah 53 is about Jesus' suffering, think for just a moment about your own suffering. How do you view it? As the judgment of God? He's already judged Jesus. He's not judging you. Look, most of us don't think in those terms though. Because we are so self-absorbed. And I know all generations have been. <clears throat> but we are taught and trained to be self-absorbed. Everything becomes about us. So do you see your suffering as coming from the hand of a mean and or uncaring God? The suffering of Jesus indicates God's love for you at unimaginable levels. View your suffering through the cross. Take just a moment to think about that. Verse 4 puts it in plain terms. Jesus suffered the wrath of God. On your behalf. Not only the wrath of God. He's borne our griefs. He's carried. Our sorrows. We understood. When we took the time. To understand that. He was stricken. And smitten by God. And afflicted. That happened. Instead of happening to us. This truth becomes even clearer in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It is what Jesus accomplished on the cross that brings salvation. What was the extent of his suffering? Was it physical, alone? <laughs> of course not. He was crushed. Does that not indicate the crushing of his spirit as well as his body? You ever reach that place in your life where you just 
have to confess, look, I'm, I'm resilient. I'm a pretty resilient person. I can, I can take a lot, but this has just beaten me. This has beaten me beyond my ability to get up. And if the Lord doesn't pick me up, I'm staying right here. Jesus was crushed in spirit and body. But his, the crushing of Christ brings salvation. To whom does salvation come? Look at the verse again. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed Simply put, to understand and absorb and believe, and believe that what Jesus did on the cross for you, what he did on the cross he did for you, is to be a Christian. Believe this verse and you are a Christian. To fail or refuse to believe that Jesus died in your place or to believe that you must add to his work on the cross is to not be a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of a church or how much you give to the Lord's work or what you do for other people. If you do not believe this truth that Jesus died for you because you were a sinner and there was no other way for you to be saved. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. But if you do believe it, you are. Last week we talked about the importance of repentance in our relationship with the Lord. Look, you cannot believe this with all of your heart without repenting. Repentance and faith, the means of salvation, and they go together. And it doesn't always look the same for you as it does for others. Some of you, like I did, came to a crisis point in life, like the Apostle Paul in, in Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> and it was very evident to you that this was the point where I was born again. And while everyone must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, some of you never remember when you didn't believe in Jesus, and that's okay. Do you have a soft heart towards sin? Do you recognize when you look at the cross, that it was my sin that put him there. And my sin, lying about my brother or sister when I was four years old, was just as wicked as the, the worst murder in the history of the world. For he who is guilty of one is guilty of the whole thing. When you break the law in one point, you're guilty of all of it. And you have that tender heart. <laughs> You belong to Jesus when you repent and you believe. Godly repentance and true faith come to go together. You're, you're familiar, are you not, with Isaiah 53, 6? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. Do you see what's happening in Isaiah 53? All of Isaiah has been talking about the lack of trust, the wickedness, the sin of the people, the idolatry, and, 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 and the, the, the trust in other nations instead of Yahweh. And God is saying, you're going to have to be judged for your sin. You're going to be judged for your sin. And then in Isaiah 42, he says... 
Well, let me just say, my servant's going to have to be judged for your sin. My servant, the individual, sometimes servant is referring to Israel, but these four servant songs point to an individual who is divine. And in this chapter, we're seeing over and over, there's no deceit in his mouth. He has done no wrong whatsoever. And so it is astonishing that he <coughs> paid for our sins. But here is why. All we like sheep, all of us, Isaiah says, all of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your sin on Jesus do you believe that? Every sin? Really? You believe that? That sin that Satan reminds you of many times every day? Yes. Every sin. When we believe this verse with the kind of grief that comes from acknowledging that it was our sin that caused Jesus grief. This level of sorrow for him. Only then can we say with relief. All my sin on Jesus. He paid it all. In your heart right now. Give thanks. To God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. For this amazing plan. That was carried out at the cross. Verse 7 tells us that Jesus was silent before his accusers. Although Jesus often answered his critics and his opponents sharply, it is to this silence toward his accusers before he suffered or as he suffered to which the New Testament writers point when instructing believers how to respond to those who mock and persecute them. Those who are believers and are mocked and persecuted by the world. You know, kind of like Republicans and Democrats have done for the last two weeks. Turn the other cheek. Be silent. In your passion to make Political points, I don't care what side you're on. In your passion to make your political points, do not forget the word's command to consider Jesus' response to his executioners. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 23. In fact, write it down if you want to. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. I'm going to share these. They're not going to be on the screen. You may want to just close your eyes and absorb this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges 
justly. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 23. Have you been treated unjustly of late? Oh, I imagine so. There is one who judges justly. I think sometimes that when we try to make everything right, well, I've been mistreated and I'm going to take care of this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stand for this. Nobody's going to treat me. God says, okay, go ahead. Just steps back. But the New Testament truth that when we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us seems to indicate that he will do it for the most part in this life as well as the next. But when we look to the cross, we remember that it was the end of Jesus' life. And only in the resurrection was he justified before the eyes of the world. He was vindicated in the resurrection. But the resurrection was so much more. It was God's way of saying, I accept Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of the people of the world. Isaiah 53, 7 is also the verse that so captured the attention of the Ethiopian eunuch that he wanted answers. To whom is the prophet pointing? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Philip Deacon Philip explained to him that it was Jesus to whom the prophet pointed. I get so tickled when I look at the, the, the requirements for elders and deacons in, in Scripture. And the only difference is that the elders are, are, are given to teach or apt to teach. They're, they have this gift of teaching. And then right after the first deacons were appointed in Acts 6, they go to preaching everywhere. And, and, and Philip... And Stephen had an amazing impact. Those two deacons had an amazing impact. Stephen's sermon may be as good as anything in Scripture, as any other sermon in Scripture. And Philip, who had led this great revival in Samaria, and the Spirit of the Lord took him down uh, into Gaza, I believe it was, and the Ethiopian eunuch was heading home to Africa. And he says, who is he talking about? And Philip Explained that it was Jesus to whom this prophecy pointed. The eunuch believed he was baptized and he went away rejoicing. What a privilege it is for us to share this good news with those who don't know. With those who don't yet believe. Verse 8 is like a courtroom setting. And the God of justice does not protect the servant. Instead, he is taken away to die. The just for the unjust. It is only though through this inglorious injustice that any of us can be justified. What can we say but thank you, Jesus? How can one look back to Isaiah 53, 9 and not see in this verse the death 
and burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection comes in the verses that follow. Crucified with thieves, yet buried in rich Joseph's tomb. For a long time, Jewish scholars believed that Isaiah 53 was pointing to the Messiah. They couldn't work it out in their mind. But they thought it was pointing to the Messiah. But it became too uncomfortable, and so they changed their interpretation. Verse 10 makes it clear that it was not just that Jesus landed on earth, assessed the situation, and decided, okay, I'm just going to have to die. It's, it's, it's come to that. It was Yahweh's will to crush him. Honestly, I, it makes me weak in the knees to think about it. I, I, if I had a chair up here, I, I would sit down. was the will of the Lord to crush him. God the Father put Jesus to grief. Interesting thing in going through this text, commentators who have so many provocative, thoughtful, just awesome things to say about the text, really don't get cute with this at all. It's, 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 it's very plain. And it's to this verse when people come, they just sit in silence. It was all according to God's plan. And it was intended for prosperity in the end, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, but not the kind of prosperity that you so often hear about in sermons today. As the Apostle Paul said in Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Just in case you missed it before, verse 11 reminds us that Jesus died as a guilt offering for our sins. It is Jesus' sacrifice that makes many righteous. We cannot make ourselves righteous, but when we believe that Jesus died for us, he declares that we are righteous. It all comes together in this text. Jesus' blood was the atonement for that. And more than that, the New Testament says that it, Jesus' blood was the propitiation or the satisfaction for God's wrath against our sin. The last part of Romans 3.24 and the first part of verse 25 say, Redemption is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The idea of atonement is a covering for our sin. Propitiation sort of takes it just right out of the picture. It's like the wrath of God, John Stott says, was exhausted on Jesus. But notice, do not miss the fact that all the way through Isaiah 53 and here in Romans 3, it must be believed, it must be received by faith. Verse 12 concludes this servant song with Jesus 
as the victorious one. Even though it doesn't seem, it, it just seems to imply that Jesus is one of many victors. That is not what verse 12 means. The servant is the only victor of the many. And those for whom he died are given to him as his portion. We are Jesus' reward. Can you imagine that? I mean, look, wives, your husband said at one time in the past, you're too good to be true. I don't deserve you. I hope they're still saying that. Husbands, if you haven't said that in a while, say it. You are my reward and I don't deserve you. That's what Jesus says to us. And wives, you can say that to your husbands too. Especially if you have an Australian accent. All right, well, that's the first time. Look, you notice I have... <laughs> Used very little humor. It's too important. This, this is too serious. But now we're talking about the shouting. Jesus has conquered. And we are his reward. Imagine it. Having brought many into the family. He now makes intercession for them. For whom? For transgressors. Any standing we have before the Lord is ours because of the mercy of God and the death of Jesus on our behalf. It is his death that we are called to remember regularly when we gather as the body of Christ. It's so it is to the Lord's table that we now turn. Is it not interesting? I, I, I mentioned this not long ago, maybe a month ago, that we're not called to remember the incarnation, we're not even called to remember the resurrection. We're called to remember the crucifixion of Jesus, the death. When we come, when we're baptized, we're emphasizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we come to the table, we are remembering the death of Christ, but we, we proclaim his death until he returns. So we know he's been resurrected. It's all part of the crucifixion event, Jesus' righteousness suffering and, and death, burial, and resurrection. So we're called to come to this table and do this in remembrance of me. And so as the elders and the deacons and the worship team, if you would come forward uh, to serve the bread and the fruit of the vine. I'm going to give a few instructions for our time at the table. Then I will read the, the scripture that instructions, instructs our communion uh, with Christ and with one another. Um, and then... We will say a prayer of confession uh, together. Uh, we administer the elements. This, we, we, we meet at the Lord's table twice a month. One time we come forward, the other time it's given to you at your seat. And look, one of the reasons for that, for that is just to acknowledge the fact that it's not so much the, the form. It's what is in our faith of what God is doing, has done for us through Christ when we come to this table. Today, the first Sunday of the month, we come forward. This table is open to all believers. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please join us. If you have not, just you can still walk forward and walk by. It's okay. You don't have to take. I would be grateful if you would just be honest about that. If, if you are not a believer, or this may be the day where you say, yes, I my faith and trusting Jesus Christ. 
So we'll come down these interior aisles. You'll go to a section that is in front of you. There will be uh, elders and deacons in, in front of you for each section. And you can, you'll receive the elements at that place. Uh, the, the, the bread, which is gluten-free, by the way. The bread and the juice, the fruit of the vine. And you can either partake there or take it back to your seat. Most people take it back to their seats. And this would be a good time to just think about the truth of Isaiah 53. The truth of which we'll be singing about during this communion time as well. Um, so, as we come to this table, we remember the words that gave us instruction. From Matthew 26. Now as they were eating. Jesus took bread. And after blessing it. Broke it and gave it to the disciples. And said. Take. Eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying. Drink of it all of you. For this. Is my blood. Of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 11 is the only epistle that talks about the administration of the Lord's table. Um, And I used to say... You know, the only place in Scripture that talks about tongues is in 1 Corinthians. And and the practice of tongues in 1 Corinthians was a mess. And then it struck me one day, the only place after the Gospels that the Lord talks about the Lord's Supper was at Corinth. And it was a mess in 1 Corinthians. It's the only place. And he was saying, look, you're doing a lot of things wrong. And essentially, what they were doing wrong was discriminating against those who didn't have much. Because again, theology of glory as opposed to a theology of cross, of the cross. If you have been blessed by God, then that's because you're a righteous person. If you don't have much, God is withholding his blessings from you. And we can't participate in God's... We cannot go against God's judgment of you by sharing our food with you because all the food used to be brought to the... To, the, the love feast, and then some would say, no, can't give you any food because you, you're poor and God is obviously judging you. And the Lord said, let me tell you what I think of that. Some of you are dead and others of you are sick. He didn't mess around at all. This was a serious business. So this participation at this table is about our relationships with one another as much as it is here. Some of you have heard this table presented in such a way, fenced in such a way, we say, that you're like, oh, I'm scared to take because, you know, I'm struggling with this sin. Look, it is because of what this table represents that you have any hope in your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord, but I've done it 10,000 times. Well, confess it again, and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And talk to somebody about getting help over this sin in your struggle with this sin. But come to the Lord. We are encouraged, though, to confess our sins before we come. And I would invite you to say this prayer of confession with me. It is on the screen. Most merciful God, 
We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Father, as we come to the table, We acknowledge our sin, the, the, the depth and severity of which we have been made aware today. But this word is not given. Isaiah 53, Matthew 26, and all of Scripture is not given so that we might feel condemned, but so that we would believe so, Lord, as this life we live, this Christian life, the sanctification of the believer is every bit as much of grace as our redemption is, our salvation. And we pray that our hearts would be strengthened and nourished at this table as we partake. Forgive us of our sins. And increase our faith. Make us more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. The elders and deacons and worship team will be... Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.